Hello, welcome to Kingdom Polemics. This is Aldo. You can call me Pastor Aldo. You can call me Aldo. Do not call me Bishop. Do not call me Apostle. Aldo works. Pastor's fine. We're going to do something a bit different. I was asked by uh, one of our listeners about doing the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. And um, I thought about it for a while, and and I didn't think about it, then I thought about it again. And I think I'm going to do it. So hopefully uh, you give me some responses when this material starts coming out, and you let me know if this is something that you would like to be the regular rotation kind of uh, material that we do. I'm not going to go into some in-depth hour episode about uh, the larger catechism. This is going to be more of a devotional kind of, not shallow reflections, not deep, deep uh, academic reflections, but, you know, somewhere in between well, we will be reflective in a, a beneath-the-surface sense, but we're not going to get some exhaustive exposition of the large, larger catechism. I, I just don't have time to add, make that an episode. That's, that's like a podcast unto itself if I made the episode that way. So I'm going to reflect on the larger catechism. I may have some people join me. Uh, and I, and, and uh, I'm going to focus, obviously, on um, our, our tone, and the way we approach things, obviously, we, we, we are uh, kingdom polemics. We, we take theology and doctrine, and our unique purpose is to um, challenge and engage and deconstruct that which is competing for the truth. And, uh, you know, also there will be a focus on the PCA, particularly, but not exclusively, and the pastoral world. So. Larger Catechism is a very helpful uh, part of the Westminster Standards as it is the largest document and it does something unique in that the Westminster Larger Catechism is probably the best explanation of the Westminster Confession of Faith, in my opinion. So if you want to understand the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism will do great explanation. Not only does it, it does, it does um, summarize and synthesize, you know, things and, and make it more succinct, but it does more than summarize the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith. It also explains things. It gives clarity to things. You will not know the Ten Commandments at all from the law of God section in a detailed sense. You will know what every Ten Commandment means exhaustively uh, from the larger catechism. As a matter of fact, they had a committee just for each commandment to write on each commandment. That's why you see this deep whole page of content. There was there was a, a group of people that were selected to simply exposit each uh, element of the Ten Commandments uh, on the Westminster Larger Catechism. And you will also, in the Westminster Larger Catechism, you will find things that were actually not in the, uh, the confession. Or I would say that they are in, but just there's not 
a whole lot said about it. So stuff about the kingship of Christ and his ascension uh, and, and, and union with Christ and his ascension, like that is deeply in the, the larger catechism and not so much so in the confession of faith. So this will be uh, very good for you to deepen your understanding of the confession of faith and to um, also be able to succinctly summarize the confession of faith. Matter of fact, I'm going to go through the larger catechism with a group of guys in our church, each part, uh, to help them grow. So let's get started with the Westminster Larger Catechism. Number one, what is the chief and highest end of man? What is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. Now, this is not something that you will find written this way in the Confession of Faith. The Westminster Confession of Faith starts with general revelation and special revelation. The first section is on Scripture. However, this question is inserted in the larger and shorter catechism and stated uh, before the section on Scripture in the larger catechism and the shorter catechism. And, and as an addition to um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, or another way you could say addition, it, it summarizes the whole document. So here you have an example of the Westminster Larger Catechism, not just simply adding things and summarizing things, but, but also um, explaining things. In some sense, question one summarizes the essence and substance of the entire Westminster Confession of Faith and the rest of the Catechism. The Westminster Confession of Faith is not about salvation first. It's not about God's law first. It's not about the church first. It's not about the sacraments first. It's not about creation first. It is not about the fall first. It is about the supremacy and value of God himself and how to understand salvation, God's law, ecclesiology, sacraments, creation, the civil magistrate, in light of God's supremacy. A lot of times when people talk about the Reformation, they talk about the solas, they talk about justification by faith, they talk about sola scriptura, and such things are certainly elements of the Reformation. But the heart of the Reformation, the reason for all such things in Reformed theology is the architectonic principle of the supremacy of God, the value of God, the, the, the exaltation of God, as we understand salvation and solas and, you know, sola scriptura, all that stuff. And this is important because if you don't read the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you're not a Reformed person, if you're not a Reformed pastor who sees this question and answer as how you see everything, then you will inevitably present God's law in a way that's man-centered. You will present salvation in a way that's man-centered. You will talk about sacraments in a way that's man-centered because you're not subscribing to how this entire document's 
categorizes all such things in light of God's supremacy. See, we, we, we understand justification the way we do because it's under the umbrella of God's supremacy. Glorifying God is why we were made. That's the reason why we're made. Salvation is not the point. Glorifying God is a point, and salvation is the means to that main point. Loving neighbor is not the point. Supremacy of God is the point, and we love neighbor in light of the umbrella and architectonic supremacy of God-centeredness. This is very important. You don't get this. You don't understand our standards. And I like how the citations, one of the things we're going to do in this part of the podcast is we're going to not only um, talk about the words, but we're going to talk about the citations. So notice what the citation is for this question. For from him, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory. So when it says glorifying God, it means, number one, that God is supreme as a triune God. Number two, God is supreme as we see his, him as glorious as all things being from him and through him. And to him. So glorifying God is not simply some statement like you just throw away and, and state the glory of God. We're, 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 we're God centered. We're, we're about the supremacy of God. No, there, there, there's a text there that says God centeredness is triune and how everything is from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. That's implied in, in that sentence. And to the exaltation of God. So, so glorifying God means that everything starts with God and is through God and then is unto his praise and exaltation. And then the second text that is cited is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you understand this statement, if you understand our standards, it's about you glorifying God and making him the supreme one or acknowledging him as the supreme one in all of your life, in all of the mundane. See, the Westminster Confession is not about this glorifying God in your churchianity spheres of life, okay? You glorify God with your, with, with your doctrines with your confession of faith, you glorify God in your church liturgy, you glorify God, you know, in the kind of books you have. No, the Westminster Confession is about the supremacy of God in the totality of every single thing in the Christian life. You are to act as if God is supreme in your eating and drinking and mundane. In your political life, in your social life, in your relational life, in your situational life, in your everyday life, in your spatial life, in your ecclesiological life, in your liturgical life, the supremacy of God is the governing principle as the one who is the cause, the means, and the end of all things. We have too many people 
eating and drinking and doing many things in everyday life that have nothing to do with God's supremacy, but rather man's supremacy. And that's not how this question is <laughs> explained by citations. I also love how the Westminster Standards and the larger catechism, which is giving us additional explanation, compares to other documents. See, uh, the Heidelberg starts with uh, guilt, right? And the, uh, the, um, the uh, 39 Articles, they, it starts with um, the doctrine of God. It says there's but one living and true God in the first point without body parts, passions. The um, other documents, they, they, they start with, with something about like, you know, revelation, um, scripture, whatnot. But, you know, Lutheran documents as well, they, they, they would start, uh, you know, the, the things that Melanchthon wrote. They wouldn't start this way. And, and I think that this is important because starting with guilt starts with man. Starting with, with creation starts with man in some sense, even though God is a creator even though they're explaining what the Bible says about guilt. But but what I love about the Westminster Standards is that the starting point is God. And I believe when the starting point is God's supremacy, not simply God's revelation, not simply, you know, God's character, but, but God being stated as supreme before you talk about anything else, is it sets a tone and pace by which you will loop back back to. If you start with, God, I feel like you will end with God in the most direct way. If you start with man, either what, what, what the Bible says about man or what the Bible says about anthropology or sin, I, I believe that the, the, it is not the most easily direct way back to God's supremacy. You start with God and then you work your way down to man and you work your way back to God. That, that, that is what makes the most sense. And this is why sin is understood. Guilt is understood. most succinctly and clearly when you begin with the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why? Because what is sin but not enjoying the supremacy of God, not acknowledging the supremacy of God, not reflecting and enjoying that glory. That's what the essence of sin is. Sin is not simply breaking an infraction. It's not simply doing something that is contra God's law. At the essence and heart of law is the supremacy of God and his chief enjoyments, and which, which frames sinfulness as simply not acknowledging God as supreme. And so I believe that starting this way, makes the standards a direct way to understand what sin is and go back to God's supremacy as you unpack the conversations. Worship is about the supremacy of God. The fall is about violating the supremacy of God. Sacraments are about connecting us with the supremacy of God. This should radically change the way we do church discipline. Why do we do discipline? Because God is supreme from him and through him and to him in all of life and should be enjoyed. I love how it says, not just to glorify God, but to enjoy him fully 
forever. So not simply the doxological truth of supremacy, but the doxological acknowledgement and receptivity in enjoying God. Like God's supremacy is to be enjoyed. It's to be celebrated fully, not partially, not selectively, but fully. And so all of this stuff that we're talking about, whether it's fall, creation, whether it's the commandments, whether it's the civil management, it's about enjoying God's supremacy. There is a, a, a worshipful, a devotional element to our theology, which is why if you present reformational theology as highly academic and mostly intellectual, if, if, you, if you listen to the assaults and shade on reformational theology, you miss the first qualifying statement. We're writing all of this stuff. We're systematizing all of this stuff because God's supremacy is to be enjoyed in the piety and worship of the Christian. That's what it's about, enjoying God. (laughs) And so clarity and precision and systematizing what the Bible says about salvation is so that we can enjoy God, not simply be right about God, not simply not be heretical about God, but to enjoy His glory, to be satiated in His glory fully. And the reason why this document is is so extensive and so detailed and, 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 and so qualifying is because we want to enjoy God fully. The more clear you are about God, the more the categories are laid out, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, the fullness. So we don't want to enjoy God partially, so we will go through salvation salvation and its application. We will go through the first, second, and the third use of the law. We will go through how the church is visible and invisible, and how the church is more more visible and less visible depending on its faithful to the word and sacraments. Why? Because this is about enjoying God fully. That's why it's going further. That's why it's 39 articles was not enough to enjoy God fully. There's more to be said. There's more to be qualified because God is glorious and his enjoyment by his people should be a full enjoyment, a deep enjoyment an exhaustive enjoyment forever. <laughs> I love how part, the second part, to enjoy him forever, is explained by Psalms 73, verse 24 and 28 as the citation. You guide me with your counsel, it says, and afterward you will receive me in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, my heart, and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. For, but for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, the, cit- the citation 
of enjoying God fully and forever is Psalm 73, where the psalmist is saying that I enjoy God in a way that is incomparable to anything that I can enjoy on this earth. Which means if you are going to understand the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you are going to understand the larger catechism, you must see that God himself is not one amongst many enjoyable things. He is exclusively glorious. He is distinctly glorious. And he is so glorious that he is said to be what you have. So the Westminster Confession of Faith is saying is God is glorious in him being the one who is the point. It's not one amongst many things. He is the thing. He is the one that you possess. And so why is salvation so valuable? Because it gives you God himself. Why is the church so valued? Because it gives you God himself. Why is scripture as the epistemological authority so valuable? Because God himself is the portion. That's what you get. And I love how it says, those who are far from you shall perish. See, the Westminster Confession, question one, knows nothing about glorifying in God in a way that is not antithetical to idolatry and the cultural rejection of such things. This kind of so-called Reform faith that is not repulsed by the unfaithfulness, that is not asking God to destroy the idols and the peoples that reject God. And if they don't confess him, if they don't, you know, if they don't receive him, he says, those who are far from you will perish and you will put an end to everyone as, as we acknowledge God is supreme and enjoyable. We simultaneously despise and reject and are repulsed by the cultural anarchy of idolatry. The enjoyment of God is simultaneously experienced with the antithetical rejection of idolatry. So if you simply see the beauty of God's supremacy enjoyment, not in these antithetical terms, not in these line-drawing terms, not in these us who enjoy God and those who violate his enjoyable glory. Now, you, you, you don't understand this, this document. You don't understand this document. You, you, you need to read the citations of what's being said here. Also, the second thing that is cited in Fully enjoy God forever. Says it in verse 21 of John 17, cited that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are. One, I in them and you in me. They may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved me even as you as loved them, even as you have loved me. See, this enjoyment of God 
as supreme is necessarily bound in the supremacy of Jesus Christ's mediatorial kingship and work. This glory and God is supreme and are enjoying him is not so available apart from union with Christ and his redemptive work. It's not possible. It's not possible if we are not enjoying God through Christ, through his actual work, his saving work, his true work, as it's being experienced in his local assembly. See, glorifying God is something that we enjoy with the people of God, the church of the living God, in a way that is always through the biblical, accurate, true work of the Son in the covenant of redemption as we see in the start of John 17, unpacked in the rest of John 17 in the covenant of grace. Your chief and highest end, Christian, is to enjoy God in a covenant of grace through union with Christ in the power of the Spirit in a church that is unified on a glorious, God-centered purpose through a clear, concise, narrow view, Jesus Christ. So, in conclusion, wrapping up, I I, I was going to do questions two and three, but I think, yeah, this is, I want to keep these around 30 minutes if I can. Uh, Here's just just, just some concluding thoughts about um, this, this point. Is on the floor of GA, on the floor of Presbytery, in your sessional conversation, what you should be asking yourself is as a Westminster subscribing person, as a Reformed person, as, as a Protestant, as you walk through every conversation, does this glorify God as our chief end of existing? Everything in existence is for what? For the glory of God to be enjoyed in fullness, not partiality, not compartmentalized, but fully, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. The question is, does this glorify God? Not how would people feel about this? What would people think about us? What people say about us? What would happen to us? But Are we processing this? Are we thinking through this in light of man's chief end to exalt God, not exalt man, as we enjoy him fully forever in the church through the mediator in all of life? If you're not doing that, Pastor, if you're not doing that, Christian, you have missed Reformed theology. Looking through your BCO, looking through the Westminster Standards, looking through any of these things, throughout without the filter of, is the supremacy and exaltedness of God 
our chief end to enjoy is to put yourself in a posture that misses everything in this document and pretty much everything in the Christian life. I, I, I am surprised as how oftentimes I don't hear, does this glorify God and enable us to fully enjoy him? I hear, does this, I hear things about pragmatism. Oh, well, this, you know, this, uh, got my church, you know, I, it got a bunch of people that wouldn't normally go to church to go to church. I, I hear, um, that this is, uh, you know, what is not going to get us in a very difficult position and, 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 and wouldn't, wouldn't get us, um, to lose people in this situation. I hear that we're we're going to process it this way because, well, it's just kind of like it's the culture, you know. This is the culture of the church. This is the culture. This this is how it's been done. But that is not the first and chief grounding question of the larger and the shorter catechism. Is is does this exalt God over everyone in this church? And does this enable us to enjoy Him fully? as God as supreme or partially with a little bit of man's supremacy and God supremacy? This is the question that, that must be answered. Is your view of justification, does your view of, of the sacraments, does your view of the first commandment, does your view of the civil magistrate, does your view of marriage, does your view of creation and image bearing, does your view of the fall and what is wrong with man, does your view of church government, does it glorify the supreme, it, is it consistent with the supremacy of who God is and, and, the, and, and the full enjoyment that we are to have? Or is it about the supremacy of something else? Are we exalting the narratives of the day more than the narrative that Christ, that God is the supreme and highest end? Are we making more of, of minorities than the supremacy of God? Are we making more of women than the supremacy of God? Are we making more of, do you just fill in the blank? Are we making more of our friends? You know what, what, I, what I've noticed a lot of times in the reform world um, is we act at times like it's a sorority or a fraternity where loyalty to uh, your colleagues and your buds um, is practically or functionally speaking that which drives the situation. But the, the question is, is this making it so that God is the supreme one above all things? All things are from him. And through him and to him, are we acting as if the only way that this can be so is because it comes from God through Christ in the spirit to his glory? Or is it from God and through something else? Or is it, or is it from something else and through God? Or is it from God and through God, but to the glory and supremacy of men? Is it from him and through him? Is this about glorifying God as, 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 as you do liturgy and as you, um, you know, um, have a bookshelf of certain books, or it's about glorifying God and his supremacy and enjoying him as you eat and drink in whatever you do, wherever you are. Is this enjoying God in such a way as a psalmist says, you are my portion 
what do I have in heaven but you? You are the point. And guess what? Everything antithetical to that and contrary to that, Lord, may it perish. Lord, may you judge. Is this how you process the supremacy of God? I remember one time, I was talking to a member of our church, a new member of our church who's you know, taking vows recently. And he was saying, um, the reason why um, I, I want to, to come here is because I feel like God's, God is, I'm just tired of God being used as an end to something else supreme about man. So, you know, we like what the Word of God says about this and that or the other because social, because social justice is a supreme concern of us right now. And so we use God's grace and His law in order to serve the supremacy of social justice. Uh, you know, women and women's uh, concerns is, is this most supreme thing on our minds. So therefore, we go to the gospel and we go to God's law to, to be the chief, uh, chief resource to, to work on to the supremacy of something going on with, with women, right? Uh, you know, whatever it is, America. America, you know, and, and, and where it's at culturally is our chief concern. And so we, we, we appreciate the Reformed faith because, you know, their, their view of like, you know, law and their view of gospel, it, it really serves um, the point. It really serves the, the end and cause of, of, of America or, or family, you know, family is the priority. Uh, and so I, I like, I like, you know, Westminster theology because um, the things that are there are truly subservient to that end. But here's the thing. We do what we do not because of a supreme end of benefiting a woman, a race, a country, a situation, a setting. Even, I would say, dare to say, it benefits the unborn. That's not why we do things. God is not a means to an end. His doctrines and truths and laws and what he does in providence is not a means to some end. The Psalm 72 uh, and Romans 11, God is the end. God is the point. We do things because of God's supremacy. We, we do rights. We serve a purpose. We benefit a situation. We apply God's law and gospel to a person or people group because God is the chief end to the end of himself, not he is very importantly a resource to some other end. And when glorifying God and enjoying him is the paradigm by which you filter, you will Deal with women, you will deal with race issues, you will deal with justice issues, you will deal with country issues, you will deal with school issues, you will deal with family in a way that's always about the supremacy of God and done in a way to glorify God rather than some subservience, 
subservient, making God subservient to the supremacy of those things. Where all of a sudden now, all of Christianity is about race. All of Christianity is about justice, uh, you know, in, in, in society. All of Christianity is about the unborn. All of Christianity is about family. All of Christianity is about American culture, you know, being uh, uh, debauched and needing to, you know, repent. No, all of Christianity is about the glory of God. And therefore, we take everything in the Christian universe, whether it's doctrinal stuff or applicational stuff, situational stuff, and it revolves around the epicenter of God, where we say we do this because God is supreme and to be enjoyed, not enjoyed generically, not enjoyed partially, not enjoyed humanistically, not enjoyed narcissistically, but enjoyed fully through the mediator in the church according to his word, exclusively contra-antithetical to the false gods of this age in all of life. This is so important to start with this and work out every single category and situation in light of this. Man's chief and highest end, not only end, but his chief and highest end is to glorify God and in Join him in fullness forever. That's why you were made, and that's why we will talk about all the questions that follow in the way that we do. So, Kingdom Polemics, Westminster Larger Catechism, 37 minutes of question one. Here we go. Let me know what you guys think. Signing off. <laughs>